You can accept my dollar, but not Kyle's hugs. Praise the Lord. Amen. I got it. It's on, brother. Dead meat? All right. Can y'all hear me okay? <laughs> it's never been a problem, has it? Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you know that America needs a few good men? How many of you know that modern marriage needs a few good men? How many of you would agree that our families need a few good men? I can tell you as your pastor, churches need a few good men. I can tell you as I watch the news that our planet needs a few good men. You know, the Marine Corps used to use that slogan to recruit men who have outstanding character, outstanding integrity, and outstanding resolve to protect and serve the United States of America. They were looking for a what? A few good men. Can I tell you this morning that God is looking for a few good men? God is looking for men who will stand up for him, stand up for his righteousness in a generation where it's not politically correct to do so. Such was the case in the land of Israel back in the days of the prophet Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to follow along because this little 10-verse narrative describes America to a T. In Ezekiel chapter 22, the Word of God says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man. That was God's favorite term for Ezekiel. He said, Son of man, say to her, say to the land of Israel, say to my people, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of Israel's prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. So the prophets were faulty. They were not good men. God goes on to say to Ezekiel, Israel's priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between clean and unclean, and they have hidden my people's eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. So not only were the prophets not good men, but the priests were not good men. Verse 27 says, Israel's princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, destroy people, and get dishonest gain. So the leaders of the nation were not good men. He goes on to say, her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions, divining lies from them, saying things like this, thus says the Lord, when the Lord didn't say anything to them. So the prophets weren't good men. The priests were not good men. The princes or the leaders of God's country were not good men. But then in verse 29, we see that the people of the land have used oppressions, 
committed robberies, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the strangers. So every one of the men in the country weren't good men. And so listen to what God said in verse 30. So I sought for a man. I sought for a man among my people who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of my land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my anger on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. The Lord sought for a man who would stand in the gap, who would take a stand for his righteousness, who would take a stand for God. And he could not find one. Guys, can I tell you something this morning? You will never be a good husband until you are first a good man. Guys, you will never be a good father until you are first a good man. You will never be a good Christian until you are first a good man. But I thank God today that we do have a few good men here today. But would you agree that we sure could use some more? How many of you ladies know that men don't always say what they mean? Good answer. For your future benefit, I would like to offer you a translation of some phrases that men love to use. When a man says, honey, can I help with dinner? What he really means is, why ain't it ready yet? When a man says, uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear, what he really means is absolutely nothing. It's just a conditioned response. When a man says, honey, you look terrific, what he's really saying is, is don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I'm starving. When a man says, I don't remember saying that, what he really means is, anything that I said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. When a man says, that's not what I meant, what he really means is, if, if something can be interpreted two ways and one of those ways hurts your feelings, I meant the other way. If your husband says, honey, what color is this? What he really means is all men see basic colors. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit. Salmon is a fish, not a color. And men have no idea what taupe is. <laughs> Ladies, aren't you thankful that we have a few good men? Men may not always say what they mean to say, but the Bible is clear on several issues that men must learn 
if they're ever going to become good men. So I want to share some with you this morning. The first thing that men must learn to become a good man is good men must learn to lean. Say lean. They must learn to lean on the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Can I tell you that the most outstanding trait of a good man is a willingness to trust his creator, to trust his provider, to trust his sustainer, to trust his redeemer, and lean not on his own feeble understanding. What do good men lean on? Well, they lean on the Lord for salvation. They clearly realize that it's by God's grace alone that they're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not of anything they can do. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, men got a bad habit. Men are bad about trying to be in control. Can I get an amen, men? Y'all do it. We like to try to be in control. Often men love to try to make things happen. Men think, man, there's got to be something I can do to make this happen. There's got to be something I can do to make that happen. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus solves the dilemma that all men have. And what he does is the disciples were bickering about which one of them was going to be the greatest in all the kingdom of heaven. That's typical men, amen? I'm going to be the greatest. But then Jesus brings a little child into their midst. And he says, assuredly, I say unto you that unless you are converted, Unless you change, unless you change your thinking and become like this little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is that supposed to mean? As we know, little children have to trust somebody. Little children have to have this attitude of trust. They have to lean on somebody to provide for them. A child has to lean on somebody to protect them. A child has to lean on somebody to prepare them for their future. But it seems that once male children begin to get a little peach fuzz on their chin, they begin to think that they're self-sufficient. They can begin to think that they're in control and they can handle this and make this or that happen. But Jesus says, unless you trust and lean on the Lord, you'll never become a good man. And furthermore, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm thankful that God has brought a few good men here to Bethel. And I'm thankful that they have learned to lean on the Lord and him only for salvation. But good men also lean on the Lord for strength. Men, listen up. If you're listening, say amen, men. Amen. amen. Even on our strongest day, even on our strongest day, never forget we are weak. D. 
the enemy of our souls is far stronger than we are. But with praise to God, I can say to every believer here today that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, for the believer, for good men, the Lord is our strength. But good men also lean on the Lord for supply. In our society, good fathers, good husbands try to be good providers. But the good man, the good man realizes that he ain't nothing but a tool. He's just an instrument through which the Lord provides for his family. We're just the instrument by which where God provides. When a good man is faithful to use the God-given resources that we've been given, then God promises that he will supply all your need according to his glory in Christ Jesus. But most men love to be the mighty hunter. Most men love to be the breadwinner. Amen. But ultimately, we need to see ourselves in God's hands. We need to see ourselves in God's hands, leaning on him to supply the needs of our family. Good men lean on the Lord for salvation, for strength, and for supply. But they also lean on the Lord for sense. Men, we ain't got no sense. So we need to lean on the Lord for wisdom. Did you know that there are only two prayers that a man can pray in which the answer is always yes? That's good news, amen. You ready for it? First one's found in Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You do that. You call on the name of the Lord for salvation and you will be saved. But here's the second one. In James 1, 5, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, that is, if you lack sense, raise your hands, guys. Raise your hands. We all lack sense. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, without resentment, and it will be given to him. If you'll ask for wisdom, God will give it. Now, I don't have to tell you, there's all kinds of worldly wisdom out there telling you to do this or to do that. And some of it even has value. But godly wisdom, godly wisdom is greater. Godly wisdom supersedes this world and keeps eternity in view. So it's not just about today. It's about forever. I thank God for the few good men who have learned to lean. But good men also learn to lead. Say lead. They learn to lead. First and foremost, they always begin with the man in the mirror. Paul taught that good men learn to lead their own flesh. He wrote, walk in the spirit of God and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you walk with God, you won't be satisfying selfish desires. You see, the answer to our sin problem is really kind of simple. Notice I said simple, not easy, right? The answer is simple. Working it out is not easy. But if believers would, if believers could continually walk with God, 
that is walking in nonstop fellowship with God throughout their days, sin would not be near the problem that it is today. The problem is, is we make a choice not to. And when we don't walk with God, when we're not in fellowship with God, we sin. We allow those distractions of life. We allow the never-ceasing efforts of the tempter to pull us away from our walk with God. And whenever that happens, we end up in the ditch. Man, we have to lead our flesh because if you don't, your flesh will lead you. You can't lead anybody else until you first lead yourself. But good men also learn to lead their families. For some people, Ephesians 5.23 can be quite controversial. Here it is. For the husband is the head of the wife. How's that sit with you? The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, listen to this other translation I found. It says, the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does the church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. You see, headship, being the head, is not being big boss. Headship is not being the big kahuna. Headship is loving leadership. Headship is leading with love. You see, the Bible does speak of the woman being the weaker vessel, but you need to know that God is no respecter of persons. And women are exactly equal to men in God's sight in every way. But when the Bible talks about wives being the weaker vessel, what you need to know is, ladies, that's not an insult. In fact, being the weaker vessel is a compliment. The wife is not less valuable. She's just more fragile. Let me give you an example. I read where women are like fine silk and men are like blue jeans. Silk and blue jeans. Which one is more fragile? Silk is more fragile. Which one is more valuable? Silk is more valuable. So the answer to both of those is silk. In God's wisdom, he gives the family a head and guys, listen, that can be a privilege, but that is an ever-increasing great responsibility more than it is a privilege. As good men, we need to learn to lead our flesh and learn to lead our families. But good men also learn to lead the fallen. Learn to lead fallen people to Jesus. We've been reading in uh, Romans chapter 5. And verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race, 
And Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everybody because everybody sins. Now, on the surface, that's some pretty sad news. But God did not permit Adam's sin to be the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Paul goes on to say, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But another obeyed God, and many were made right in God's sight. My question to you is this. Shall many be made right in God's sight? They will as long as men lead the fallen. As long as we lead people to Jesus by the way we speak, by the way we act, by the way we pray. It's required that we all lead people to Jesus. I mean, that's why we're here. You ever thought about that? When we're saved, why didn't Jesus just take us to heaven? Because many other people need to be led to Jesus just like you. So I thank God for our few good men who have learned to lead. But finally, I praise God for a few good men who have learned to love. First and foremost, good men learn to love the Lord. What do you think the most important thing in this book is? Specifically, you learning to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is the overriding theme of this book, is learning to love God that way. Men, listen up. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Men, more than anything else in your life, God wants you to learn to love him with everything you got. And for that to be exemplified in the life you live. More than anything else in your life, God wants to be the treasure of your life. More than anything else, God wants to be the most valuable person in your life. More than anything else, he wants to be the most important person in your life. But he leaves it up to you. It is your choice if you'll learn to love God like he hopes you will. But know this, in your decision, in your choice... 1 Corinthians 16 says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Boy, that'll get your attention. I plead with you, men. Learn to love the Lord with all you got. But we also know that good men need to learn to love their wives. Now, we covered this a little bit in talking about our family. But how many of you understand that you can lead, but do it in an unloving way? It happens all the time. See, the only real leadership is loving leadership. In Ephesians, the Bible goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loves the church and gives himself for her. Now, that may seem a little strange to you guys. Some of you may say, well, now, if I didn't love her, I wouldn't have married her. But wait a minute. The love that's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 5 is a love that's far more than just some arbitrary affection. 
This love that's mentioned here in Ephesians is far more than just some emotional feeling. This kind of love means that I'm going to put forth great effort to love her. This kind of love means that I'm willing to give my life for her. This kind of love means that the object of my love, she's going to be happy, she's going to feel secure, and she's going to feel comfortable. This kind of love, friend, goes beyond telling her how pretty she is. This kind of love calls for you to respect her and to honor her just like Christ does the church. One woman after she did something really silly, her husband said to her, how can you be so beautiful and stupid at the same time? Guys don't ever do that. <laughs> how can you be so beautiful and stupid at the same time? And her reply was priceless. God made me beautiful so you'd love me. He made me stupid so I'd love you. Men, love your wives. Love your wives beyond just that emotional, superficial love. Love her like Christ loves the church. Finally, good men learn to love the church. I'm thankful for men that are here this morning loving the body of Christ Loving their fellow worshipers. Lover, loving brothers and sisters in Jesus. Because Ephesians 5.29 tells us what Jesus did. He nourishes the church. He cherishes the church, which he calls his body. Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. Imagine for a moment if just the men here this morning, loved the church so much that they were willing to give themselves for her. I mean, if we love the Lord, shouldn't we also love that which he loves? If we say that we love the Lord, shouldn't we give ourselves to that which he loves? I thank God for the few good men that God has given to us. Don't you? I say we need a few more. So how about you? God said to Ezekiel, I saw a man. and stand in the gap before me in the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found none. Would God find such a man here today? Who would take a bold stand in a world that is politically correct and doesn't want to? What if it meant you had to die with it? 
make in any shape, form, or fashion, you come in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father God, I praise you for a few good men. And I thank you that this church, it overflows with good men. But Lord, we recognize that 